Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, a a showdown coming between the federal government and uh, Texas law enforcement. Strongly worded letter from the Department of Homeland Security to the state of Texas demands access to the border, the U.S.-Mexico border on land seized by the state of Texas at Eagle Pass. DHS officials ordering the state to cease and desist its efforts to block Border Patrol's access in and around Shelby Park and remove all barriers to access by the end of the day on January 17th. Hey, that's today. DHS General Counsel writing to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Texas's actions are clearly unconstitutional and are actively disrupting the federal federal government's operations. And what operations are those exactly? Processing, uh, <laughs> yeah, processing people from other countries into this one. Taking mm. down fencing so that they could come in. The recent actions of the state of Texas have impeded operations of the Border Patrol. These actions conflict with the authority and duties of Border Patrol under federal law and are preempted by the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. The um, Breitbart News checked, uh, tried to inquire as to whether the use of the phrase the state of Texas is impeding, that's a particular word choice, impeding operations, meant that the federal government would pursue criminal prosecution against uh, any individual, in whether in law enforcement or not, in Texas that would impede Border Patrol operations, and they did not get a response from DHS indicating whether they were uh, willing to go that far. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in da then a quick comment. There's something more to this story, although this is sort of the top line. We're going to have a moment here between uh, General Abbott and General Biden, if you will, and their respective troops. Although I wouldn't necessarily call Border Patrol agents General Biden's real troops. They're doing their jobs, but. As best they can, but obviously they have a general that's uh, in absentia in more ways than one. This uh, started uh, a little less than a week ago. On the evening of January 11th, the Texas Military Department seized Shelby Park in Eagle Pass and expelled Border Patrol agents. Border Patrol officials told uh, Breitbart that the National Guard units quickly moved into Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. The Guardsmen erected barriers around the park and instructed Border Patrol agents to leave the area. And this is in part a fight over the efforts by Governor Abbott 
to secure the border uh, in Texas, secure the portion of our border in Texas, including with uh, the uh, you know wire, razor wire and and uh, other impediments for people coming into this country. And of course, the Biden administration doesn't not wanting any impediments for people coming into this country have deployed the border patrol to seize control of any land occupied by the Texas military department, the National Guard, and uh, and and uh, take down any barriers to entry that uh, the state of Texas has sanctioned. Right. They also have the buoys in the water. Remember with the barbed wire right. underneath? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a deterrent saying don't come in here. Don't come in anywhere. So this is important because it was against this backdrop that we get this story a couple of days ago. Oh, about the mom and two kids that allegedly drowned. Well, they did drown in the Rio Grande. Mexican migrant woman and two small children drowned near Shelby Park. Mexican officials rescued other migrants in distress and recovered the bodies of the three drowned migrants. U.S. Representative Henry Cuellar and the D.C. Press Corps, among others, DHS, official story coming. Flag this. Here's the official story coming. And what do we know what to do uh, when... The official story is being delivered. Be highly skeptical. That's what I was telling Justin yesterday. <laughs> like, this is not what you think it is. The uh, The official story blames Governor Abbott's decision to keep Border Patrol agents from accessing the park as the proximate cause of the deaths of this woman and, her, and uh, two small children. But for Governor Abbott. Preventing Border Patrol from rescue, and, and this is not critical of Border Patrol because they do rescue people all the time. They do save lives. We know this. So does Texas but, National Guard. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, they're all they're all in the same business. Generally, you know, the, the Texas National Guard, Border Patrol. These are all, yeah. um, you know, great Americans that are saving trying. lives on a daily basis. Because well, they got they got they day. got they got into law enforcement. They got into these jobs for the purpose of doing something other than Biden is tasking them with doing. That's the point. Kept Border Patrol agents from accessing the park, thus preventing them from saving those uh, people who unfortunately died. But that's not the true story. <laughs> so and even ABC 7 Chicago yesterday had to recant what they said the day before and the day before, saying that the migrants were already dead, I'm sorry to say, uh, when Border Patrol contacted them. Well... Uh, sort of. It's it's a little bit more specific than that. It's the Mexican government. Right. Oh. Mexican government, 9 p.m. on January 12th, advised Border Patrol of two migrants in distress on the U.S. side of the river in the area near Shelby Park. Mexican officials also informed Border Patrol that three migrants, one woman and two children, had drowned at approximately 8 p.m. in the same area. So Border Patrol was informed an hour ap- by the Mexican government right. an hour after those three migrants had died. But the story, the official story is Governor Abbott told the National Guard to stand down, prevent Border Patrol from going in there and saving lives. And thus three people are dead. And this is the inhumane policies of Governor Abbott and anybody else who would seek to protect the U.S. border and provide some sanity to people uh, trying to 
get into this country. In fact, when Border Patrol requested access to the park, Mexican officials were already, Dan, recovering those three bodies on its side of the river, on the Mexican side of the river. This is uh, yet another illustration of the vilification that the neo-Jacobins are happy to do. You can be a former president of the United States. You can be a law enforcement officer, border patrol officer. I mean, this is the same group that uh, demonized their own personnel in the infamous horsewhipping, non-horsewhipping incident. Oh, I remember that. That made me so mad. B- border oh. patrol horse. They, the, they take a picture of border patrol are horsewhipping Haitian migrants trying to get into this country. No, but Mayorkas was right over the top, right away on the Sunday talk show saying he was, you know, distressed about what was happening and and he's going to wait for a full investigation, but he didn't wait for a full investigation. In the next breath, he condemned his own people, Border Patrol agents, without having any facts. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And then they hoped that it would be memory hold and months went by. And finally, we found out nothing of the sort that was accused actually transpired. And those Border Patrol agents were eventually returned to the front lines. And they, they stopped the horse program for a while. I don't know if they brought it back yet. But there's certain terrain where you can't use ATVs. You can't use vehicles. You have to use horses. But I you know, loved what Greg Abbott, he tweeted out. Uh, Turns out Rep Collier and the media were so eager to point fingers at Texas for the drowning of the migrants, they forgot to get the facts straight. When Border Patrol requested access to the river, the drownings had already occurred and the bodies were found in Mexico. The fact is the deaths are because of Biden's open border magnet. So here's the larger point beyond the border in terms of who you're dealing with. You know, even during the French Revolution, I know, well, this is rhetorical and we have these intellectual fights and fights over misinformation and we have it on social media because we're so much more civilized than... You know, those uh, uh, autocrats who deposed the monarchy and seized control of the French government in the late 1700s. They, they took people right to the guillotine and had public executions. Um, this is a 21st century version of that, what you've seen happening. Can, you know, they call it cancel culture, which is a very sanitized description. It's a 21st century version of that because um, one of the things that was required— to get uh, to take people to the guillotine was to whip up public frenzy. These are enemies of the state. These are interlopers. These are bad actors. These are the barbarians. And it was trumped up, pun intended. And so when Trump says, you know, they're coming after me, but they're but they're really coming after you. I'm just standing in their way. I'm not saying that you know he's going to save everybody and you know single-handedly reverse America's cultural course, but perhaps there's something that uh, he doesn't even appreciate that he's properly communicating when he communicates it, that they will attempt to destroy anyone by any means necessary who gets in their way. That's your federal government doing that. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM560. The answer. 
Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. No more. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Excuse my sticks. Because uh, out in Oak Brook and other uh, charging lots for Teslas. Yeah, they're supercharging stations. Supercharge. We got a bunch of dead robots. Electric cars may be the way of the future, but it's clear there are some problems when it comes to charging them in Chicago's deep freeze. Oh, we got a bunch of dead robots out here. Dead robots. (laughs) Dead Teslas packed the parking lot at this Tesla supercharging station in Oak Brook, a scene mirrored at other supercharging stations around the Chicago area. Man, this is crazy. It's, it's, It's a disaster. Seriously. With temperatures falling into the negative double digits, these charging ports have stopped charging, leaving many Tesla owners stranded here in long lines since Sunday. Nothing, no juice, it's still on zero percent, and this is like three hours this morning being out here, after being out here eight hours yesterday. Has it been charging? No, not at all. It just isn't working? At all. It's just frozen, and so I'm now getting it towed to the um, Tesla service center because that's my only option at this point. (laughs) That was uh, Venerable oh, Newsman Dane Placco reporting for Fox Chicago. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 646-36DA, turnkey.pro, text line. If you're one of the 7.5% of Americans who own an EV, how is your EV holding up under the deep freeze? And this put even before this segment, did you hear the push for EVs? You know, oh, It's constant. It's con- it's, oh, it's everywhere you turn. It eventually, you know. We're all going to have to get electronic vehicles. After seeing that, I don't. There's no way in the world I would ever want an electronic vehicle, ever. I mean, there it's not. They're not only. It's like a car graveyard in Oakbrook, but there's also one downtown. It's you can't even get in there. People are waiting <clears throat> because cars are dead. So then you have to get them towed to get them out of that spot, so somebody could come in and try and do the same fruitless exercise of trying to charge your car. It's not working. So then they're taking all these EVs back to the Tesla uh, store, and it's a joke. I mean, this is then you know there's advice because they say with all new technology, Dan, um, there's a learning curve. So this is Mark Bilek of the Chicago Auto Trade Association. It's not plug and go. 
Um, you have to precondition the battery, meaning that you have to get the battery up to the optimal temperature to accept the fast charge. Uh, well, guess what? There is no optimal temperature when it's minus 30 wind chill and minus 5 degrees outside. Text from uh, 630, caught an Uber to Midway this morning. Guy had a Tesla Model Y. 15-mile trip ate up 45 miles of his range. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. I mean, that's we know the performance lags in cold weather, and, of course, it is bitterly cold. Something else, though, too, say, well, you know, you get, you're going to get your uh, EV loyalists to say, well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some issues, but, uh, and despite uh, the the sticker prices, over the long term, mm-hmm. it's more cost-effective cost to own uh, an yeah. EV, mm-hmm. right? It's cheaper to own an EV. So this is, again, uh, ushering into ushering us into a brave new world where the cost of owning a vehicle will be cheaper and, and operating it will be cheaper. Text message, Dan and Amy, I just bought a Tesla last week. So if you don't have a garage that's possibly heated and a charger for yourself, it's a bad idea to buy one. Yeah. A well, char- you know how much it costs to put a clearly, charging port? It costs thousands of dollars to put that in. Yeah, but, but of course you have the government putting its finger on the scale on behalf of uh, EVs and those who manufacture them with subsidies for both the cars and the charging stations. Unless you have an EV car that the battery was made in China now, they won't give you um, any kickbacks. You still get your subsidy on the purchase of the vehicle. Yeah. That's big because actually that's the only thing that even keeps EVs competitive to gas powered cars when it comes to cost effectiveness, new research out. Uh, Max, uh, Maxwell Woody is a research assistant uh, pursuing his PhD, uh, University of Michigan, I believe. Anyway, uh, he and his colleagues looked at this and looked at all the studies that have previously concluded that uh, EVs are more cost effective. So they adjusted for the effect of temperature on fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. Our friend going to Midway highlights that point. Track vehicles over 25-year lifetimes. Categorized vehicles by size, range, and type. Accounted for different EV charging behaviors and explored the cost of ownership in 14 cities across America. Researchers found that while small and low-range EVs capable of traveling around 200 miles are indeed less expensive to own than gas-powered counterparts, Larger long-range EVs that can cover 400 miles are more expensive. Midsize SUV EVs, which are the top-selling models by far, only reach cost parity if government incentives are applied. Okay. The researcher's summary is EVs are competitive in cities with high gasoline prices, low electricity prices, moderate climates, and direct purchase incentives. Boy, that's a lot of variables that have to line up to make this makes sense. But anyway, um, high gasoline prices, low electricity prices, moderate climates, direct purchase incentives, and for users with, to your texter's point, home charging access, time of use electricity pricing, and high annual mileage. Boy, that is, uh, you really need to thread the needle to make this make economic sense uh, to to a large extent, it turns out. Um, And I mean, you're talking about like break-even points, you know, reaching cost parity for um, for for most of these EVs that are 
well, by the time you reach cost parity, it's time to buy a new one. Uh, small 300-mile range vehicles break even in under 10 years. Larger 300-mile range vehicles break even in under 10 years in many cities. There are a few cities in which 400-mile uh, EV compact and midsize sedans will break even with gas-powered counterparts after 15 or 20 years. Still, there are numerous unknowns in the assessment whether a substantial number of EVs will require battery replacements outside of their warranties. Uh, also unknown is how the cost of gasoline and electricity will change in the future. And the study did not compare vehicle costs in rural areas. Uh, basically, the um, I mean, in, you know, just in terms of how complicated this picture is, as opposed to what the uh, the pro EV subsidizers will tell you. The greatest factor in determining whether an EV will be cheaper to own than a gas vehicle is the ability to charge at home where electricity is the cheapest. Without home charging, an EV will likely never be cheaper over its lifetime. And in point of fact, they give a range on the savings. Home charging access reduces the lifetime cost by approximately $10,000 on average and up to $26,000 uh, with respect to EVs. So, I mean, that's that's the real... Uh, source of of uh, savings to make it more cost effective or even to reach cost parity in a reasonable period of time. Yeah, but, but a just, lot of people in the city live in apartments, so they can't. Well, of course, do that. Well, yeah, of course, but but this, but but the point is just like you know the, the modern miracle is revolution. It is uh, an analoid good. There are no downsides. It clearly dwarfs the. Uh, the horse and buggy of our day, the gas power. And that's not the case. Not now. Who knows what innovations may come, but all we can do is assess what our choices are right now. Can't we? Uh, and I would never, ever get an EV right now because your life is on the line. If your car breaks down, you're screwed unless a good Samaritan comes and helps you. I mean, it's that cold outside. And I just, one guy that Dane Placco interviewed was there for 20 hours, Dan. Well, not outside. No, I know, but he he hooked up his car. Then he went in that warming station right there. He spent overnight there, and nothing. Well, he still had two thirds charged. Yeah, well, he's a bit of a slow learner. Well, I, I know mean, this is what's going to happen. Um, by by the way, just a related story. Hertz oh, announced yeah. it's selling off twenty thousand of its Thank EVs you. to buy more gas powered cars at a two hundred forty five million dollar loss. Best move ever. I that's my company, Hertz, and I, and I travel a lot. And I, they put me in one of those, and I got in there, and it was just ten percent charge. I'm like, I can't drive from Phoenix to Tucson in that, and I'm not going to spend my two days with my mom looking for charging stations. Well, so and from we had to get and back from, in and get a different car. And from the the um, owner's perspective, the company's perspective, you know, bottom line sensitive. Hertz said that the electric cars hurt the company due to their high cost to repair damage and depreciation of value. So, again, trade-offs. Yep. Uh, A lot of people on the line here. Mike in Yorkville. Good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, this whole electric vehicle thing reminds me of a commercial that we often see but it's re, I'm going to rename it EVD, Electric Vehicle Dysfunction. You lack performance, longevity, and satisfaction. So, for, But you're not going to get it for $0.87 cents per pill. Have a good that's, day, guys. That's pretty good. Is there a generic form? EVD, <laughs> Electric Vehicle <laughs> Dysfunction. Mm. Yeah, it could be, best. could be a picture of um, two people at that Oak Brook Tesla charging station sitting in their dead Teslas looking out at, like, the... Uh, the, the Chicago skyline from the Oak Brook Mall. 
I like that. <laughs> Electric vehicle dysfunction is pretty good. Uh, Will and Skokie. Good morning. Um, I'm a former physicist, and basically I'm constrained by facts and numbers and what actually works and what actually doesn't. Um, if you were to go to electric vehicles in 50% of the country, just 50%, you would have to increase the electrical generation power of the United States by 16 times. That's never going to happen. Um, if you look at uh, the recent thing down at Joliet, a company that has a trucking uh, fleet, they wanted to put in 40 uh, charging stations for the trucking fleet. The city of Joliet says, can't do that. You're going to grab as much power as about half the city. So it's not going to happen, um, but at least not with the technology we have. And I don't see how battery technology is going to get much closer to uh, efficiency than it is today. Well, Will, uh, thanks for the call. And, and by the way, it's, being a physicist is like being a Marine. Once you're a physicist, you're always, always. a physicist. You're never a former. Yeah. So nice. But, um, yeah, bite your tongue on that the battery technology because uh, Governor Jelly Belly is putting your money on the line for that Goshen EV battery plant in Mantino. Yeah. Uh, half a billion dollars in subsidies, speaking of the subsidizers. And um, they already got a check for $125 million, two checks that total $125 million for doing nothing. Um, so, yeah, money's out the door. So we're all in in Illinois. Jeff in Antioch. Oh, hi. Good morning. Uh, so I, give me my 1975 Chevy Nova, six-cylinder, three-speed, starts in 20 below. If the battery goes dead, you can push start it. Thank there you. you. There you go. Thanks That's for the awesome. call, Jeff. Uh, Sean, Northwest Side. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, <clears throat> for all the husbands out there that are thinking about getting their wives a nice, sleek, electric vehicle that they're going to look sexy in, probably the color white. <laughs> uh, my wife never fills up her SUV, and I thought about getting her a Tesla, and I just remembered how mad I get when I get into her vehicle, and it's never filled with gas. And just imagine if I get into her vehicle with no charge in it. It's useless at it's that so point. i got to wait eight hours. Thanks for the call, Sean. Well, if you go to a supercharging station, it's about an hour, but your battery's got to be a certain temperature right now. Can you imagine the confusion out there <laughs> right now with people that are, you know, have no sort of understanding of uh, basic technology, much less uh, this EV technology? They don't, you know, people who don't understand how things run right, I get at that. all. I know. Let me give you an example. Um, here's sort of a, I don't know, moment of zen of sort. Um, this has uh, gone viral much like the uh, story about uh, the Tesla charging station in Oakbrook. Is this the two ladies who can't figure out how to charge a battery? Yeah, we call them lesbians. <laughs> uh, because that's, Lady lovers? Well, they are. Yeah. I mean, no, they're they a are couple. lesbians, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they didn't people take auto shop in high school. Well, people are wondering what has Lori Lightfoot and her oh. betrothed been up to since they left office. Well, Damn. they've been having some problems. Whatever you do, don't rub them together because you could catch on fire. <clears throat> okay. Plus with plus, so negative black, with negative. Is the black the dark wire? Oh, my gosh. Baby, I don't know. Plus with plus, negative with negative. I don't know how to do this. Plus so with plus, negative, negative with negative. This is negative, right? I don't know. Mine's written on there. Yours is not. You said that is a plus. Nice. This one's plus. So this has to be negative. Okay. Don't get sassy with me, B. I'm not getting sassy at all. You're, my so negatives then, are cold. 
Then this goes here. Oh what God. does an engine block mean? I don't know, B. Oh my God. I wish I Pet knew. Name. I wish I knew. <laughs> you just sparked my. You just told me how to. I did not tell you. Know you. Why? Because these are, these are together. I don't know what I just did. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I'll just call somebody. <sighs> I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that smells bad. I don't want to start my car now. Try it again. You're okay. You're all right. I'm sorry for getting sassy. You're okay. You're okay. You're all right. You're okay. I don't know how to get You just did there. it. You just did it, baby. You got it. It's okay. Good job. It's okay. It's on there. It's not all the way on there. It's going to fall off. Okay. So this one goes there? That fell off. I'm I don't... scared. I know you're scared. Do you want me to do it? Uh, in case you weren't picking up on it, uh, one was not coaching the other through brain surgery. It no. was to apply jumper cables to jumpstart a car whose battery was dead. But anyway. And red is positive and black is negative. Yeah, yeah. So, they didn't I mean, get that far, Dan. This is uh, sort of the median, I think, of what you're dealing with out there. So um, these are going to be continue to be confusing times, I guess is my point. Uh, Larry in Elmhurst, you're in Chicago's morning. Answer. Hey, good morning. Hey, every day I, I take Roberts Road from uh, 111th to uh, Archer Avenue, and there's a charging station on uh, 95th and Roberts Road right next to the uh, Burger King there, and there's always about 10 cars waiting in line. But my point is, wait till these uh, crooks, instead of, you know, waiting for somebody to start their car up to rob them, just go over there. They got a whole handful to pick from. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for the call. Maybe you can uh, put up some uh, tent cities for Tesla owners. Oh, yeah. We got them for the homeless. We got them for migrants. I mean, let's just throw Tesla owners into the mix. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Downloaded today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're doing planes, trains, and automobiles this morning. Pardon my John Hughes. No, in no particular order. We just did automobiles. Well, one more note on the automobile because we got a great text message for those people struggling on how to charge your battery. Red to dead, red to donor, black to donor, black to dead. That's the correct way to jump your car's battery. Thank you. We'll pass that on to those two lesbians who are still stranded trying to figure out how to jump that car. Okay. Uh, uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, Lori Lightfoot and Amy. Amy were able to find shelter while they wait for somebody who can navigate jumper cables to arrive. Okay. Uh, we talked to yesterday about uh, the transvestite. That's the CEO of United Airlines. Stop. He's happily married. He has seven children, but he likes to dress up and drag. Yeah. Right, which is the definition of a transvestite. Okay. I mean, it's just, you know, Webster's dictionary definition type stuff. But okay. Um, hey, you know, if his uh, wife and kids are good with it, mm, I wonder what they know. Anyway. Uh, he he lives in Chicago, right? Because United right, Airlines lives, is based here for now. Yeah, he lives in uh, the Gold Coast. Yeah. Oh, which, by the way, there was a car, uh, an attempted carjacking and robbery right in front of Pritzker's house in the Gold Coast last night. It wasn't a transvestite, well, was it? <laughs> no, it was somebody who didn't know how to drive stick shift when they tried to drive away with the Audi, the white Audi, and so they just took the guy's wallet. But literally right smack dab in front of Pritzker's house. Uh, no, I mean, forget the club. Forget to car alarm. There is no better protection for your vehicle than manual transmission. Yep. Uh, there's no question about that. I'm serious. Uh, all right. So let's get to um, uh, updating the story about this um, Scott Kirby, uh, United Airlines CEO slash transvestite. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm no particular order of importance, obviously. Um, so we talked yesterday about his um, uh, being one of those die-addled Fortune 500 CEOs, an interview he gave to some dink at Axios a couple years ago where he's talking about we have these uh, goals, die goals for uh, pilots, for uh, C-suite staff representation and so forth. You know, we've got a whole die office full of people of color to show how enlightened and progressive we are, that we put a a bunch of people in an office as our mascots. Yeah. To show, and they how, want fifty percent of their new hires how, to be either women or minorities. Yeah, right. Whatever these arbitrary numbers, it's just the same stuff. Same stuff you've been hearing, and he's a hundred percent committed to it. And now the FAA is borrowing uh, from the industry, and also uh, going full uh, DEI. Or I guess now we were talking about it yesterday. Um, per United Airlines, again setting the standard, providing the leadership. It's um, DEIB, D-E-I-B. There's a new letter in the acronym, and you better get it right. Oh, belonging. Belonging. Diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. They've got a committee at United Airlines also headed up by a dude pretending to be a woman. I think that dude pretending to be a woman who's also a pilot is a full-time dude pretending to be a woman, whereas Scott Kirby is a sometimes dude pretending to be a woman. All right, I hope you got that all straight. Maybe maybe they could include that in the org chart so people people know. Well, that's not the only issue on which uh, Scott Kirby is um, controversial. I mean, I don't want to use language that's too strong for the delicate ears of Chicagoans. 
There's this pending uh, litigation against United Airlines for the company's treatment of employees, including pilots, during COVID. Oh. Mm -hmm. A um, legal brief filed uh, just uh, last week, part of a larger lawsuit against the airline, contains internal communications obtained in discovery, which shows the management's uh, effort to coerce religious employees to take the corona vaccine, coronavirus vaccine at every turn. The effort was so blatant that one union president, Craig Simmons, expressed to Scott Kirby, that's the transvestite, and others that United was, quote, over the line, unquote, and attempting to institute a, quote, purge of religious orthodoxy, unquote. Um, here's uh, Scott Kirby doing a little Q&A session during COVID, answering employees' questions with a facilitator, of course. Um, we, we do have a couple questions with respect to uh, vaccine. Um, one of them is from Anonymous here. It says, I've been told by management pilot that pilots who get the approval to use the wrap for medical or, re or religious reasons uh, to avoid the COVID vaccine, they would still be on the U United seniority list. However, they will stay home and not be paid. Is this really how United plans on handling this very sensitive issue? I don't think so. I, um, I don't know. Um, you've had that, that is a question I don't know. Um, although I don't think that's the case. Uh, by the way, there are gonna be very few people that get through the medical um, and religious exemption. There's some pretty strict rules uh, about that. So I would encourage any pilot that's decided they all of a sudden, uh, or any employee that's all of a sudden decided I'm really religious um, and I'm going to say I'm going to get, you know, you're putting your job on the line. You better be very careful about that. Um, well, um, he doesn't think that that's what United Airlines is going to do, but that's what United Airlines did. They granted religious and medical exemptions to 2,300 employees, but those employees weren't allowed to continue their jobs. They were placed on unpaid leave and had their medical benefits stripped. The plaintiffs have now won an injunction and can work again, but United has not backed off their policy. Um, you heard him say, be very careful about requesting such accommodations. Very few people get through the process. Mr. Kirby also allegedly described such employees, uh, uh, well, you heard him say all of a sudden uh, deciding I'm really religious, putting their jobs on the line, and so on and so forth. So you can... Uh, get a sense of where he's coming from. I mean, if you didn't already know that he likes to dress up like a woman in his free time, maybe at work too. I have no idea. Um, here's something else he proposed in case you're still not convinced about the nature of these sorts of individuals, the Scott Kirby's of the world. And I'm talking about identitarian leftists. Again, uh, according to the suit, Kirby alleged proposing requiring accommodated employees to walk around with special stickers on their badges broadcasting vaccination status. Unsurprisingly, the United lawyer shot this idea down. United acknowledged that Mr. Kirby's idea would create conflict in the workplace. Oh, really? You think? In fact, oh, some gosh. HR employees were taken aback by Mr. Kirby's proposal, stating that putting stickers on unvaccinated employees' badges is like the scarlet letter. Oh, my goodness. Who are we? It's encouraging to know there are some uh, decent people in uh, who work at United Airlines. I'm sure it's the majority, like any place else. 
who rec- who were aghast at this, who recognized how um, heavy handed this was, where the scarlet. I mean, we talked about this during COVID. Politicians proposed it. Corporate CEOs proposed it internally in the, the dominions over which they exercise control. It's the scarlet UV. And Scott Kirby was one of them. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line. United employees were told that getting vaccinated was about loving your neighbor and your colleague as yourself, according to the lawsuit. Oh sure, you know if you're if you don't get vaccinated, you're violating the golden rule, and you call yourself a Christian. That's the next sentence that comes. I got to tell you, I just did uh, for my counterculture podcast uh, a talk with our friend Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute, who is one of the essential people during COVID, both in terms of his scholarship and his skepticism. He was the person who actually organized the Great Barrington Declaration after it was co-authored by by Gupta and Bhattacharya and Kaldorf. He organized getting those thousands, they turned into tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of signatures. Um, and it's just it's just so refreshing to go back and document everything, both for the sort of the truth commission aspect of it, as well as for going forward. What are these places of business like United? What are these places of residence like Chicago going to look like? What's the sort of long running impact? This guy, Scott Kirby. I'm sure he doesn't think he is because they never do. What a terrible person he is. And, and, and the dressing up like a woman is the least offensive part of it, the least ridiculous aspect of it. His statements on die and his treatment of his own employees. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about sentimental barbarians. And yes, they can be heads of Fortune 500 companies. They're not just, you know... Uh, mousy little academics uh, squirreled away in uh, ivory towers around the country that don't do harm. They're people who have control, significant control over the lives of tens of thousands of employees like Scott Kirby at United Airlines. It's just incredible. Craig and Mount Greenwood, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Danny, and uh, thank you much for taking my call. Hey, that's like a badge of honor now to have a to have a, a badge on that says that I wasn't on back. There's all kinds of women that want to have a normal pregnancy. They want to have problems. They want to have a healthy child. They want to be with the guy that is unvaxxed and everything like that. And you can't believe all the people that are vaxxed around my job and everything like that because I'm one of them guys that had the exemption, okay? It's religious. But here's the thing. These guys all tell me, man, you're lucky you didn't get them shots and everything like that. And uh, the whole thing is, is it's all turning around and people are realizing all those lies. Just like the yeah. EV thing where there's a, a coal-burning cars. It's, you got to run coal-powered fire, coal-fired power plants to charge those things up, burning tons of fossil fuel, dirty fossil fuel, coal, to take and uh, operate those EVs. I mean, it's all lies from these people. Thanks for the call, Craig. Well, here's a look into the future of commercial flight under oh. the leadership of people like Scott Kirby. Welcome aboard, folks. We are very proud to share that your pilot is the most diverse pilot on record. She is a three foot two inch transgender pansexual Native American man who identifies as a six foot tall Korean woman. 
Any volunteers to help reach the controls are welcome. You will want to buckle up as her epilepsy is often triggered by the flashing lights in the cockpit. Remember to keep a whisper volume level as she may have to consult instructional videos as a refresher during the flight. Now, can we get a big cheer for diversity? The door yeah. ripped off, too. Yeah, yeah you needed the uh, automatic pilot from airplane uh, there on that flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the epilepsy and stuff. It's not making fun of people. Absolutely. We talked no. about this yesterday. FAA, you know, part of the diversity orthodoxy is to include in their hiring considerations people that have intellectual, physical, psychological disabilities, I mean, you know, there are just commonsensical limits to um, whatever people suffer from in terms of some of the things they can and can't do. I mean, just realistic. It's not ostracizing anybody. It's not ridiculing anybody. It's just recognizing limitations, for goodness sakes. But um, that's out the window. And so might you be with the uh, FAA and these uh, diversity Diversity, diversity idioms. Hmm, I'm gonna have to work on that one. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So this is what has been proposed, and and again, with respect to uh, just focusing on diversity with res- uh, in hiring. Well, somebody mentioned uh, yesterday when we were talking about this that uh, uh, that pilot for that German wings. Uh, uh, the pilot on the German right. wings flight who had suicidal ideations, who was not clear to work by his doctor. And he, he killed 160 people by turning that uh, flight into a kamikaze mission. And of course, what uh, are we doing here? Come on. Well, and of course in, in San Francisco, you know, a bunch of diversity hires in the uh, cockpit. And then, you know, this happened. We have new information now also on the plane crash. KTVU has just learned the names of the four pilots who were on board the flight. They are Captain Sum Ting Wong, We Too Low, Ho Li Fook, and Bang Ding Ao. The NTSB has confirmed these are the names of the pilots on board Flight 214 when it crashed. We are working to determine exactly what roles each of them played during the landing. You know how that happened, right? Because they got those names faxed in by a jokester and an intern, because it was on the weekends um, when there's not a lot of bosses or editors around, grabbed it, you know, hot off the press. I have the names of the four pilots and just hands it to the anchor. Yeah, I think uh, oh, it boy. turns out it turned out that Holy Fook was primar- par- primarily responsible for that crash. Um, also a diversity hire, uh-huh. that news anchor. <laughs> Tim at Woodstock, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning, Dan and Amy. I have a son who flies for United, so I'm, I am really concerned about the direction they're going with all you this should be. nonsense. And, yeah, and who he'll be in the cockpit with in the future. Um, but I love how... Um, or the men's room. ...religious language. Yeah, right. I, I love how United uses uh, religious language to compel people to get the vaccine. They talk about loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they tend to do that. They love to, to use the love word to cover all kinds of uh, things they want to compel people to do. But, um, you know, when, when did they become so religious that they could use that? But I can't oppose or my son couldn't oppose taking the vaccine because aborted cells 
were used to develop the vaccine. Um, you know, that's not good enough for, for this uh, CEO. Um, and when did he become the arbiter of who is religious enough? That, that's what really bothers me. It's like, you're going to... So the CEO, he's going to be the arbiter of who's religious enough to get a religious exemption. You know, I, I just don't like the direction they're going. Thank, thanks for the call, Tim. Good luck to your son at United and everybody else there under this guy. Um, so uh, we got uh, we got our, our automobiles. We got our planes. What about our trains? Uh, you're a, a regular visitor to Phoenix, Amy. Yes. Um, and I love ever, their new train system that they have. You get off the plane and you go straight on that train right to the car rental place. Brilliant. It is. And, I mean, uh, I love it. There's another great feature there. Um, on that train system, yeah. they have a no pants light rail day. Have you done that where you don't wear pants? <laughs> I didn't know that, that they had that. Excuse me. Yeah. The city well, of Phoenix. It's like the new um, bike ride in Chicago. Basically, no pants, light rail day, um, and they've. Uh, I saw Matt Walsh tweeting it out. Uh, they've got pictures of everybody in their underwear on the uh, on the light rail system there in Phoenix. Oh, okay. And it's nice because you know parents take their kids uh, because they I don't need to use the train. Yeah. And you know you got some. A uh, guy with uh, pasties in, on and a ball gag in his mouth wearing no pants standing next to him. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. That's uh, Matt Walsh. Yeah. yeah. So it sounded sounded like fun until the BDSM crowd got involved, huh? City elders of Phoenix? <laughs> I mean, uh, you, if you don't believe that politics destroys everything, especially identity politics... Planes, trains, and automobiles, you would think uncontroversial, um, ecumenical, and yet here we are talking about you can't even, you basically need your, a dedicated uh, rideshare driver. Or, you know, you need to Jamie Foxx uh, from a, a Collateral uh, to drive you around everywhere and also be sort of your personal escort bodyguard in order to get around in big city America these days or two big cities in America these days when you were talking about flight. Remarkable stuff. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more, you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I understand why Catholics who take their faith seriously stop going to church in um, some of these uh, dioceses, certainly in Illinois. Because they hear priests sermonize about courage and about living in truth, the truth, not your truth, the truth. And um, to secularize it, being willing to stand athwart the world for those things that are true. So that's what's featured, you know, concepts, the cardinal virtues, fortitude, particularly in the face of uh, 
Satan's armies. That's what you hear from the altar, from the dais. And then this is what you see from those preaching the word. Multiple Illinois bishops are forbidding parishes from hosting drives to sign a petition for a state ballot advisory question aimed at legally requiring parental consent for medical interventions such as abortion and sex changes for minors. Along with prohibiting Catholic church-based drives for the petition, the dioceses of Rockford and Joliet have instructed pastors not to send out mass emails to parishioners about the petition or the group promoting it, the Parents Matter Coalition. This is uh, the initiative of Jeannie Ives and others. We've had you know Mary Kay from Western Springs, other callers call in who are circulating the petitions right now. Here's the uh, advisory question that so frightens Cardinal Supich and uh, Bishop Hicks and Joliet, who's just sort of a general, just generally uh, a gelding when it comes to anything that is consistent with church teaching as expressed in the secular world. School choice, pro-life, the prohibition of mutilating children. I don't know. The question on the ballot, or the question that would be on the ballot if they get enough uh, signatures to have it placed on the ballot in November. Quote, shall the written consent from a minor's parents or guardian be required before any entity, person, clinic, or school can provide a minor any non-emergency medical procedure, medication, pharmaceutical, or any gender modification procedure, gender identification counseling, or gender therapy. That's it. Written consent from a minor's parent or guardian before any other adult can provide medical procedures, medication, gender identity counseling, therapy, or you know, another medical procedure, surgery, obviously. Right. And as is often said, you need parental permission to get for your kid to get an aspirin from the school nurse, but not for any of this stuff. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. So, you know, we had this call on Friday, I think it was, during our Open Mic Friday. But, you know, what, hey, what's going on in Illinois? Is there any, any movement at the grassroots level, anything, you know, any activity? Or has uh, anybody with uh, any sense just completely thrown up their hands and there's, you're just conceding uh, to be sub, uh, subjugated to uh, Governor Pritzker and, the, and these uh, Democrat socialists from top to bottom of the state? So, well, there's this, uh, I mean, you have to do things. What's what's the Republican Party doing? Not much. What's the conservative grassroots doing? Well, they're doing this petition drive to allow people to, have, to make some sort of expression of their view on these critical issues that we're seeing playing out at the K-12 through level in particular. And the Catholic Church won't, Back that play? 
the Catholic Church won't support a policy in the secular world consistent with the teaching of Catholicism, consistent with the Catechism. Huh. People find that curious? And but the point here is that when the cultural and religious institutions all fold into the state, which is what's happened, what are you left with? Well, you're uh, left prey to those forces that have folded in together backed by police power. And um, you may want to take some real stock of that. The other thing is, if you don't regain control of institutions to which you affiliate, then why would you expect anybody else to do likewise? Do you think somebody's going to do the work for you and you can be a free rider? You go to a parish in a diocese that has taken this position and you say what? I'm talking specifically just this narrow cohort, Catholics. And I'm not talking about the social justice Catholics who, you know, uh, who a la carte their catechism. I'm talking about people who take it seriously. You go to you go to your parish, you go to mass on Sunday and you listen to the priest sermonize about this and that, the sort of values that are supposed to inform our life and how we're supposed to live those values. Supposed to emulate the example of Christ. And then the bishop of the diocese says you can't circulate a petition we won't promote a petition that is not political it's policy it's not partisan it's not republican democrat and even if it was which it isn't i mean you see what happens in other churches in the city where politicians routinely are invited to speak from the pulpit about things that are partisan and overtly political and oftentimes not even policy related but the catholic church doesn't have the courage to and then you wonder why. Supich is doing the same thing. These are, as I said uh, in the tease, these are pinos that are the heads of these dioceses. Pro-lifers in name only. Finos. Pro-familiars in name only. It's easy to take the rhetorical position. Just like it's easy to say the Our Father, and then you go out and you do what? Well, what's the example? I mean, again, the faith, the, the, these men, Cardinal Supich and Bishop Hicks, these, the, they, they are not the faith. They're just flawed men, just like I'm a flawed man. But so I don't uh, disavow Catholicism because of the bastardization of it and the cowardice of these men. But let's recognize what we're dealing with. And the corruption from within in these institutions, they are doing what rhinos do to offer a political, uh, you know, political metaphor. They are destroying the institution from within. Republicans in name only that really just want to be junior partners to the Democrats. They destroy the party from within. That's what you've seen happen to the Republican Party in Illinois. Well, the same thing is happening in the church, the Catholic Church, at least. And I would... And well, I could argue other churches, but let me just focus on mine, since this is in the news, and because this is where leadership should be coming, not 
barriers being erected by these individuals. I mean, yeah, as, when does it, when do people, when has enough enough, when do people revolt? Revol, I don't know. Revolt against what? People won't revolt, people won't revolt against the things they say they hold the most here. I'm not interested in politics. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, I'm focused on my faith life. Great. What's happening in your faith institution? What's happening in your faith-based school? And now the very church itself. Text message, Dan and Amy, the last few times I've been to my Catholic church where I raised my kids and sent them to school, the priest preaches to us about helping the illegals. He uses the Bible to skew his sermon. His accent is so thick, most of us can't understand most of what he's saying. That's why I'm switching to St. Ben's. Yeah. Politics have no business in church. Absolutely none. We go to church to worship. That's it. This yeah, Right. This isn't politics. This is policy. This is policy consistent with the faith. And you're supposed you're you're not supposed to limit your Catholicism to uh, Sunday mass, are you? I don't think so. Mm-mm. That's not what I learned. So with you during the week. So 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 now how do you explain it? Cardinal Supich is all in for, you know, going to full renewable energy by 2025 or whatever the hell he's talking about. He has no idea. Who the hell is he? He's an engineer now. He's a climatologist. He's a labor economist. He's all these things. He's just not a faith leader. Bishop Hicks and Joliet. And the, 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 this LifeSite news article, too, is, you know, talks to non-Hops people. Oh, this is, this is just classic. This is classic. Uh, the decision of the Illinois bishops, shared by LifeSite News, by a third-year veteran Illinois pro-lifer, uh, the reason for the decision related to the related the pro-lifer was the bishops, they want to focus on assisted suicide legislation that may potentially arise in Illinois. Right. Sure oh you do. Gosh. I mean, are you, that is such a pathetic, Ooh. transparent cop-out. You're lying. You're lying and everyone knows it. First of all, you can't stop anything in Springfield and you rarely ever try. That's number one. So whatever these... Uh, Marxist, rapacious Marxists want to do in Springfield, they're going to do, and they're going to shove it down your throat because you're on your knees anyway. Might as well, since you're in position. And number two, even if you wanted to take up a fight on other issues, you can't do th- two things simultaneously. They're not even asking you to take up the fight. They just say, stay out of our way and let let us communicate to parishioners in your diocese, in your parish about this opportunity, about this issue, and the, and, uh, uh, the uh, chance to make a statement about the policy choices that have been made in this state. No. We're going to stand in your way. Kevin in Evanston, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning, Dan and Amy. Love you guys. Um, Dan, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, uh, but before that, give me a chance. Totally on board with the need for this kind of ballot question, this kind of petition. I, I too, am uh, sick and tired of our Catholic leadership, um, starting with the Pope, Cardinal Supic, you name it. 
Um, they, you know, when it comes to these kinds of issues, they are absolutely on the wrong side of Jesus's teaching. But I will say this: there's, you know, um, back back in the uh, scandal uh, around 2000, the child abuse um, scandal scandal in the church. I had to make a decision. I decided, I stayed in the church because I said, wait a second, this isn't about the guy talking at the pulpit. This is about the guy up on the cross. That's why Total, Catholics need I to totally, go to church. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, well, that's but, why that's why in Chicago I go to Kansas. I mean, so so there are exceptions. But I'm talking of I'm talking about Bishop Hicks in Joliet. I'm talking yeah. about Bishop Malloy in Rockford. I'm talking about Cardinal Supich. I'm talking about the leadership. I'm talking about these specific dioceses, and I'm talking about what Catholics should do. Uh, otherwise, they're the, you know, I mean, what is the point of continuing to go to this uh, this specific parish and, you're going to if you're going to participate if you're going to participate with Malloy and Hicks and Supich? I told I I agree I get it but here's my point there have been bad leaders throughout 2000 years of the of Catholic course. church and there have been good ones we're going through a lousy time don't yes. throw the baby out with the bad with the bath water you got to stay in church and fight I agree thanks for the call well that's that's essentially the thanks for the call Kevin that's exactly essentially the call I'm making I'm not saying I'm not saying leave the church altogether certainly not leave the faith but but either fight within your parish and call your pastor on the carpet about this, particularly if you're in Joliet or Rockford or the Arch, or find some place that uh, you have allies and that you can work together with official sanction or not in support of this ballot initiative and every other matter of importance, as opposed to just sitting quietly in the pew and rolling your eyes. Or shrugging your shoulders. And if you hear a sermon that's political, confront your pastor and say, you know, what, you know there's another side to this story. That's what I engage in. Uh, text message, Dan, the Catholic Church has been overthrown by evil. Like the government, they need a complete revolution back to biblical teachings. Uh, since her name was invoked, Mary Kay, Western yes. Springs. Hi, you know, I just want to give some advice to people of what I've been doing. I study the catechism online. You find, find a priest, and you can spend 20 minutes a day and just do it daily. Find one that you like and listen to it. You know, you don't have time during the week. Catch up on Sunday. And listen, I find that way more of, of a learning teaching experience than actually going to Mass. I go to Mass when I want to be there. Um, I like being in the building. I like the, you know, Amy, I know you like the social aspect of your church. So I do it on my terms, not on theirs as far as walking in the building. Secondly, the petition is here on my lap right here. I want people to reach out to me on Twitter because I'm not a big Twitter lady, but you can find me there at at M-K-A-Y-R-O-S-S. That's all they need, right, is my Twitter handle, right? Mm -hmm. One more time. Reach out to me. Reach out to me at at the letter M, the letter K A Y R O S S, and I'll find your stuff and I'll let you know when we're having meetings to get this thing distributed. I mean, I thought we'd get a thousand signatures. I think we could get five thousand signatures if we get people moving. You know, soon. Thanks for, because thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Appreciate it. And you got breakthrough ideas too. Jeannie Ives's website has all the information. Illinois Family Institute has all the information. So there are partners here. And one, one other thing on this, too. All this, you know, phony, genteel business. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm all for being respectful to uh, men of the cloth. But to a 
point. All of this, you know, your excellency business, your grace business. Between their eyes, deliver the message. To their face, between their eyes, stand up and be counted. They sat idly by and did nothing as scholarships were ripped away from thousands of families. The, the um, less fortunate that we're supposed to be the guardians of as good Catholics. Child mutilation. Abortion on demand for minors. And they're willing to stand idly by again. And their tax dollars are going to pay for abortions, too. How much disgrace can you handle from their grace? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. This uh, Michael Moore riff is making the rounds again. This is uh, way back from 2016, but since um, there's been a lot of sound and fury signifying not much change in underlying condition for so many Americans, thus where Biden finds his approval numbers, thus where, where people feel about their economic security, thus where people feel about their national security, the combination of the border and foreign entanglements. It's just interesting. I mean, Michael Moore understood Trump's appeal without, of course, supporting Trump. Right. Because he's socialist. But nonetheless, uh, Andy smells. Well, no, I had to work with him at WJBK. I'm sorry to hear that. And he every time he came in, I'm like, you you don't only look like you smell, you actually smell. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. I hope to never be that close to Michael Moore. Uh, He um, well, just 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 recall some of what he had to say and see if this doesn't uh, ring true uh, is ring as true today as it did for so many in 2016. Thus, his prediction Trump would win in Michigan that are planning to vote for Trump. And um, they're not they don't necessarily like him that much and they don't necessarily agree with him. They're not racist and rednecks, and they're actually pretty decent people. And so I wanted to sort of, after talking to a number of them, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to write this. And Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm going to put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back, and nobody's going to buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania 
in Wisconsin, the Brexit states. <laughs> you live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. And on November 8th, election day, although they've lost their jobs, although they've been foreclosed on by the bank, next came the divorce and now the wife and kids are gone, the car's been repoed, mm -hmm. they haven't had a real vacation in years, they're stuck with the Obamacare bronze plan where you can't even get a f***ing Percocet. <laughs> they've essentially lost everything they had except one thing. The one thing that doesn't cost them a cent and is guaranteed to them by the American Constitution, the right to vote. And um, now that the pandemic cash that was printed and sloshing around over the last couple, three years is dissipating, people find, and of course the attendant inflation over the last couple of years in particular, Seems to me a lot of people are back in that same place. They were in 2016, feeling the same thing. For more on this, post-Iowa, pre-New Hampshire, pleased to be joined by David Drucker, senior writer for The Dispatch, author of In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. David Drucker, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Good to be here. So um, Trump uh, living up to expectations in Iowa. And uh, now, uh, good news, bad news, I, I think, sort of. I'm generally, I'm a proponent of debates. But it um, doesn't look like we're going to have any more Republican debates based on Nikki Haley's announcement that she won't debate DeSantis without Trump. So um, where do you see the race going uh, on next week and, and then on to South Carolina? Well, look, I mean, the, the race in New Hampshire is... The it's somewhat interesting in that it's theoretically competitive for first, not second. Uh, in Iowa, first was a foregone conclusion. And I found myself in the, the odd position of covering a race for second. Um, right. And so we'll see if, you know, over the next, what is it, six days now, uh, Nikki Haley can make up anywhere from 7 to 15 points, depending on uh, what poll we're looking at. I, polling averages probably have it at about 12, 13, something like that, maybe 14. It's it's striking distance, but it's a tough climb. Um, and, you know, that's because Trump's appeal with the base of the party is just unmatched. And because the party is a lot different than it was eight years ago when it still included a lot of, you know, what we like to think of as the, the, the sort of Reagan era Republican re regulars, the suburban conservatives and, and people who cared about fiscal policy and national security policy. Uh, but weren't all that interested in, in conservative social policy. Um, a lot of them are either independent or have started voting for Democrats, so there may not be as much of a well to draw on. But in New yeah. Hampshire, uh, two they weren't, things. Weren't very, much, weren't very conservative if they started voting for Democrats. Uh, I mean, I, I got to say, oh. that, 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 whole, that whole business, I mean, please. 
I, I, well, they may not be conservative the, the way some people look at it, but they were reliable Republican voters uh, based on fiscal issues and national security issues. And a majority winning coalition gets people like that one way or the other, the kind that either Democrats say, well, you're not all that liberal or, or Republicans say you're not all that conservative. I mean, that's the way you win a majority. And that's part of um, uh, the secret sauce usually that helps one or the other party win. Now, in, by the way, in 2016, guys, uh, Trump beat Hillary in part because he held on to just enough of the suburban vote. So he was able to bring in all those new voters, the kind that Michael Moore was talking about, but hold on to enough of the, the sort of Reagan-era regulars. In 2020, one of the reasons he lost is he, he did not hold on to enough of those old-time Republican voters. Um, in New Hampshire, um, it's an open primary so independents can vote, Democrats can vote if they want, and there really is no Democratic primary because of how the DNC, the Democratic yeah. National Committee, changed the rules. Um, and so we'll see if Haley's able to capitalize on that. It's, it's an uphill climb, but we'll see. But who do you think all the independents, because there are Democrats that are going to vote, and they claimed before that they were going to vote for Chris Christie. Now the Chris Christie supporters, do you think they'll go toward Haley? Well, I think that if they vote, most of them will, but not all of them. And Haley has to draw. I'm not a poker player, so I feel like I keep messing this analogy up. It's like she's got to, you know, draw an inside straight or get the bet, you know. Yeah, that's draw right. A hand. Yes, right? inside so straight it, is it, the proper. Yes. Dan knows. Okay, so it's doable, <laughs> you know. And if she's a good card player, maybe it's doable. It's just that it's it's not going to be easy, and it'll be interesting to see how she approaches this week. I actually think tactically, and I may be in the minority here from what I've been reading on social media, that she was smart to refuse to debate unless Trump participated, because I don't think it does her any good anymore to be on the stage alone with DeSantis, given yeah. her position in New Hampshire, which is at least within striking distance, where she'd have to either ignore every attack from him all night and focus on Trump, but then risk looking like she wasn't fighting the guy next to her. And I just don't see what that would... In Iowa, it was something I felt she definitely needed to do, but I don't see what it gets her in New Hampshire. Well, right, I agree, which, of course, makes uh, all of her criticism um, about Trump not participating in the debates in Iowa a bit hypocritical. You know, it's just, he, these these were my interests at the time, now I have new interests, uh, but you, but there's no well, principle... That's what candidates do all the well, time. Well, I, I understand, but I'm just, I'm just pointing out there's no principle at stake because uh, all of this, you know, high-minded... Uh, well, uh, there's never any principle in, at stake. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. Well, um, maybe. Um, maybe for Strategy some. Wise. I'm not talking about issues. Yeah, I understand. I understand. But but so speaking of the the person that she won't debate without Trump, I mean I, I, I mean I like Ron DeSantis, but I, I don't I don't see the play for him here. Not only skipping New Hampshire, um, and and sort of trying to reconstitute his troops in South Carolina. Uh, not only does he does, does he is that not, not any real indication that he has any sort of significant base on which to build in South Carolina. He's got to he's going to be out of the conversation for the better part of a month after New Hampshire until you get to South Carolina. Can he even survive that long? I don't know that he can survive that long. I know, you know, my sources tell me that the money to compete in New Hampshire via Never Back Down, his super PAC, which runs the ground game and does all of the campaign events. So they're they're officially Never Back Down events, but they're his campaign events. 
that the money was already it was already paid for. The mm-hmm. money was spent. The flights were booked. The hotels were booked. The people were paid. And so he he can do this for a week. I, he's at five percent in New Hampshire. I mean, he he just is nowhere near doing anything about anything. And again, Trump is very strong in South Carolina and Nevada, and there's no such thing as getting to Super Tuesday, okay? In a national primary, which it's a quasi-national primary, the guy with the most support by far and plenty of money, and he's a, he's practically an incumbent, is going to run circles around everybody. The only way you stop that from happening is by knocking him off in one of the four early states, but not just one, probably two. And then all of a sudden, it's a race. If he's not beaten in New Hampshire by Nikki Haley, who's the only candidate position to beat him in New Hampshire, it's over. She's not going to roll into her home state and beat Trump. He's extremely strong there. He has the grassroots. He has the establishment. And in effect, Donald Trump is the establishment. Yeah. And this is it. This week, they don't stop him here. They do not stop him. Um. I want to get your a handle on a sort of a, I don't want to say conspiracy theory, because, you know, it's just fantasy politics. Here's what's really going on. Everybody has a theory. But but Rand Paul's announcement on Friday that, you know, his never Nikki website and we have to stop Nikki Haley and so forth. And and the belief uh, that there is this deal that's been cut and Trump already knows who his VP nominee is because it's Nikki Haley. And so now Don Jr. and Rand Paul and the uh, you know, sort of libertarian conservative grassroots is trying to rally to prevent Nikki Haley from being Trump's nominee. What kind of stock do you put into that theory? I put stock into no conspiracy theory ever. Because yes. If well, people yes. Could pull, if people could pull off conspiracy theories, think of all the, the, the simple stuff they'd get right that they just mess up constantly look trump is ever transactional if if he gets you know whether it's next week or next month or three months from now and somebody tells him you pick nikki haley and you're going to win you think he's not going to consider it of course he's going to consider it but trump is famous for making a decision based on the last person he spoke to on the phone i mean that's how it was when he was president that's how it is often I think that there would be a lot of angst inside the sort of MAGA part of the movement if it's Nikki Haley, because Trump is an immediate turned out lame duck president, at least politically. He can't run again. Right. And whoever is his vice president, you know, may not have a clear shot in the primary, but is sure going to have a platform to kind of become that person. And there would be a lot of uh, people upset with the idea that Nikki Haley would be given that platform. Yeah, but there's um, a lot of independents well, that been, I know that love her and would feel comfortable well, with her on the ticket with Trump. Yes, right. I think she would be the new version of what Mike Pence was for Donald Trump in 2016, which people forget how important it was that he chose a, 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 I say a traditional Reagan conservative who believed all the things that they all liked about Republicans. And so they were willing to stomach this guy they weren't sure about. And, and 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 Nikki Haley could help Trump do that again, maybe. Um, so I think um, he would consider it. But is there some grand plan? Eh, I mean, I'm highly skeptical. Yeah, 
Well, that that would be, I mean, my uh, intuition on that, that would be the one thing that would dampen enthusiasm for Trump if he picked somebody like Nikki Haley and then the two of them are going to go around talking about draining the swamp that um, she's being financed by. I, I, I don't I don't see how that plays. I don't see how that's on brand. No, ne- and there are so many better options. Trump, Trump, I, I, listen, I, I leave it up to you guys, but but uh, the minute this race is over, Trump's going to go to all those same donors and warn them that they better oh, I, I understand. Or else. Uh, so they, well, 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 I understand. I understand, but but um, the difference is uh, a belief in who is um, calling the shots in that relationship, and I and um, I think the belief is that Trump calls the shots, r- whether you're a donor or not. And I don't know if a lot of people, myself included, have the same belief about Nikki Haley. But also, too, I mean, they're just and, and you know, this is all fantasy politics too. But you know, when when people are talking about um, uh, Christy Nome, maybe. But I mean, even people that are not necessarily national. I mean, she doesn't have a huge national profile, but doesn't have the national profile that she has. I mean, uh, Wesley Hunt, congressman from Texas or Byron Donalds from Florida, uh, Tim Scott, South Carolina. I mean, there's so many more. Uh, there, there are a lot of options out there that I think are more attractive. They get you a lot of what you, whatever you think you're getting from Nikki Haley. Uh, but don't have the downside of dampening enthusiasm among the base. You know, it's always the danger to uh, reach to the middle uh, by abandoning your base, and you don't have to do that. Well, maybe you don't, um, but you do need to take a look at uh, the coalition that Biden was able to put together in 20, the coalition that Trump was able to put together in 16, and ask yourself how you get from here to there. It doesn't have to be Haley. I would say, you know, Trump's going to be in his 80s when he gets uh, finishes a second term if he's reelected. I think it's going to matter that he picks somebody that people see as a president and that uh, can bring the party into the future just by being youthful. In other words, not yeah. another 75-year-old somebody. Yeah. Somebody with, with executive experience would help. Somebody credentialed would help. Um, and look, Trump's relationship with the base generally is so strong that he doesn't need help. All he needs to do is not pick somebody that would be so utterly rejected. I just think while there's a there's a corner of the base, and you know, maybe you would be upset with Haley, as we've seen with Trump, people say all sorts of things, and then they just support him anyway because that's how they feel about him. And, and I, I suspect that might happen again. David Drucker, senior writer for The Dispatch, author of In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. David, thanks as always. Hey, thanks, guys. See you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, Jason Smith, who's uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and he's part of the Troika investigating Biden, Inc., with Comer at Oversight and Jordan at Judiciary. Well, Jason Smith has uh, cut a bipartisan tax deal with Senate Democrats. Hmm, that's concerning. It sounds like um, a sort of bipartisan deal that's attempting to be cut on border security over in the Senate between Langford and Schumer. But is it? Or has Smith been able to... uh, extract enough concessions from Senate Democrats to uh, garner something that is 
net positive, even modestly, pro-growth, even modestly, given the composition of the Senate and the occupant of the White House. To uh, distill that potential deal for us, we're pleased to be joined, as always, by Steve Moore, economist, author of GovZilla. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, guys. Hope you're staying warm. We have uh, we have about uh, seven inches of snow here in suburban D.C., which is we great. don't we don't care about your problems in D.C. Yeah. yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad problems. that I don't. Li- I'm just glad that I don't live in Chicago and have an electric vehicle. I, I know. <laughs> yes. yes. I know people. One one man, Stephen Moore, was there twenty hours. He stayed in the warming, and he was wondering why it's it's not working. He's been there twenty. You yeah, think after it. the first hour he'd realize if the uh, you know. Yes. The battery's not charging. Well, you know, by the way, up. you know, I, I, t- I think it was you, Amy, who was telling this story. I think it was you about how, you know, a lot of women don't want to buy electric vehicles because they don't want to have to, you know, stand out, you know, in the middle of nowhere it, it, for 45 minutes no, <laughs> and have to, like, you know, uh, charge their car when it could get mugged or, you know, all sorts of things can happen. So, it, you know, but this is unbelievable. I mean, you've had people, and it's not just happening in Chicago, all over the country, where people yeah, are, uh, are being stranded in an electric vehicle, which is supposed to be, you know, I'm calling them the, the Joe Biden cars. That's good. Yeah, we had a caller earlier when we were discussing this. Uh, I diagnosed a new condition, EVD, electric vehicle dysfunction. And... Um, <laughs> And you know it's unsat it's not satisfying. You're able to you're unable to charge up and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think you get the message. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so, well, I'm, the good news. Oh, yeah, the, I'm the I'm the deal. Yeah. 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 So, on, on the on the deal that Jason Smith uh, cut with Senate Democrats, tell us what the net net of it is. So first, I want to back for a minute. It's really important for people that. Are- tax issue is going to be in this 2024 election. Uh, Biden's budget that he put out um, nine or 10 months ago really had his his agenda for a second term. And he has, and this was reported in the Wall Street Journal, but you can read his own document, about $6 trillion of new taxes over the next 10 years. Now, of course, that's only going to be paid by, quote, the rich. But here's what he wants to do, just so people are fully aware. He wants to double the capital gains tax rate from like 20 percent to almost 40 percent. He wants to tax unrealized capital gains. So even if you don't sell your stock or your farm or your house, you're going to have to pay tax on it. Uh, he wants to increase the the corporate American corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. So we're reversing the Trump uh, tax cut um, and the dividend tax and so on. So you're going to if you invest a million dollars in a new company and you make money on it, you're going to pay about a 60 to 65 percent tax rate on these things. That would kill the economy. Now, so what the Republicans are saying is, well, let's make the Trump tax cuts permanent. And I'm in favor of that because I helped write the Trump tax cuts, but they were highly effective. They did create a lot of jobs. They created a lot of businesses. They brought money back from Mexico and Japan and China back into the United States, which is what we wanted. And uh, so Smith has a deal to make some of those things permanent. And I think it's, it's a, on balance a good thing. Now, some of my conservative friends are worried about a, one feature the Democrats want is to increase the child uh, credit and to make it refundable. In other words, if you have a, a kid, uh, the government will actually pay you money. And I have a problem with that because, you know, the more money you give people for free, the less they're going to work. Oh, OK, but so so uh, what, what do you get of the Trump tax cuts 
uh, oh, okay. so, you know, that you right. author. So what do you get? What do you, yeah. you know, what, what's on the growth side and then what's on the yeah. subsidy side other than this child tax credit. So we know how to net this out and decide whether or not we tell our Congress humans so, to vote for it. I think the most important thing that this bill does is it allows businesses to immediately expense. In other words, write off on their taxes when they build a plant or purchase equipment or purchase computers and things like that, that are capital purchases. And under current law, you know, you have to depreciate those over sometimes 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, This basically says once you buy it, you get to write it off. Uh, And so that is an incentive for businesses to, you know, build new plants and to, uh, you know, to have more machinery and equipment and things like that that make American workers productive. So I'm in favor of that. And that, that would be the single best feature of the uh, of the um, of this deal. It's not in the grand scheme of things. It's not a huge thing, but I think it's a step in the right direction. What about the individual tax rate reductions that were attendant to the Trump tax cuts? Do those stay or do those do those it, get extended or do it, they go? So under the current law, they get they go. And right, I know, but what about this deal? Yeah, I don't. You know what? I don't know for sure. I, I know what what uh, Jason Smith has mostly been talking about is you know some of these business uh, tax reductions would stay in place. So I can, I can look that up and get you the answer, but I don't I don't remember what because what we did just so people understand, we uh, we also cut the small business tax by about thirty from like 40% to 30%. And that is something that is scheduled to expire in 25, 2026. 20, and I, you know what? I don't remember whether this particular deal uh, keeps those rates low for the small well, businesses. Well, so, I'll, I'll so those, that. right. And so the individual rates ex, uh, reductions expire well, in 20. Yeah. They expire in 20. They expire. Yeah, we cut that rate from 40% to 37%. And uh, I don't think that's included in this in this uh, in this deal. I mean, basically, what Biden would do is just repeal the whole Trump well, tax cut, right. which would be absurd because it worked. You know, this is one thing about liberals that I don't understand. It's one thing to have a debate about whether something will work or not work, and you know that's why we have people like me and you know people like Paul Krugman on the other side, and we debated it back and forth. But it happened, and we know what happened. And it worked, and they still want to get rid of it. Well, I know what that. Well, we all know what they want to do. But I mean, I'm just just as a practical matter, the individual rate reductions. Uh, you know, if you're not a business owner, they expire in 25 as well. So even if, you, even if you don't get a deal to extend those and the uh, uh, the business re- rate reduction you were just mentioning, you still have another bite at the apple in 25 if yeah. you have a Republican president and Republican controlled Senate, and then you could per- perhaps do more. Of course, if Trump is reelected, he'll have a I would argue he would have a, a, you know, a voter mandate to to make those tax cuts permanent. If he loses, I guarantee you, folks, taxes are way, way, way up. And I guarantee you it's not just for rich people. It's everybody's going to pay a lot more. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary to me that we have a, uh, you know, 30, what, a 34 trillion dollar national debt right now. And Joe Biden has not proposed a single penny, not one penny of spending cuts. His only proposal to bring down our deficit is to massively raise taxes, which will hurt the economy. And in the long run, it's going to make our deficit worse, not better. Speaking of spending, um, and you just mentioned one penny, you know, um, Trump is not exactly um, a proponent of um, 
of radical restructuring of the spend emanating from right. D.C. But um, right. maybe maybe you could take another run at him to adopt that one penny plan that had some uh, ah. that had some currency a few years ago and then sort of went away during the pandemic. Maybe we bring that back. Why don't you explain that? I love that idea, and and I had forgotten about that, but it, I forget who was it. I think it was Herman Cain or someone like that who was in favor of that. And the idea is, okay, so we spend uh, each year $6 trillion. So what we do is we say to every single agency of government, every one of them, okay, instead of spending a dollar like you did last year, you're going to spend 99 cents, okay? So you're going to shave 1% off your budget. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Children are going to die. People are going to go hungry in the streets. Of course we could cut one penny. I mean, every rational person understands we could cut one. Then what you do the second year is you cut another penny. So now instead of 99 cents, they have 98 cents. And then the third year you cut another penny. So instead of 98 cents, you have 97%. And you do that for five years. And then after five years, you basically have reached a balanced budget. So it's really not that hard. Now, I'm talking about everything. You have to cut the military spending. You have to cut the Medicare spending. You have, and, but we're just shaving it a little bit. Don't you think that these, Amy, that these agencies can spend 95 cents out of the dollar rather than a dollar? No. Not possible. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no way. We can't yeah. cut one penny. You're with Biden. <laughs> somebody's going to say a draconian cuts, and then everybody's going to run for the hills, as what normally happens. Uh, yeah, she's right about that. Um, I wanted to get to uh, one other uh, matter I saw in your Unleashed Prosperity newsletter, avid yeah. reader of that. Um, yeah, put the copy back on my desk, please. Uh, the um, uh, the Amy, Biden... You're not getting it? No, I'm, I'm not getting it, but I will get it, yes. All right, yeah, you, I, you send me your email, and I'm going to make sure okay. you're getting it every morning. Okay. All right. Um, the, uh, the Biden war on highway sign humor. This is a huge issue. Oh, yeah. This is a big issue. So you know that you've got these signs that are, that are hang over the um, over the expressways, and they'll say stuff like you know, there's some funny messages that they get the point across. Like they're public service messages. You know, one of my favorites is you know, don't don't drink and drive. It tastes terrible and stuff like that. Right. And, and these are you know funny and and you know if you're driving especially long distances is so monotonous looking at the sign it you know, makes you funny but it also makes you think about what they're talking about and so the, the administration wants to make those signs illegal because they say they're distracting um, drivers oh <laughs> please ridiculous. And by the way i gotta tell you my they don't want to distract drivers on the kennedy yeah right yeah <laughs> no because they're going 80 miles an hour right um, but you know that then i i guarantee you then they're going to say oh you can't have funny billboards and you know we haven't my favorite billboard of all time is where anybody, probably some of your Chicago uh, you know, residents and listeners know about this one. If you go from Palm Beach, Florida to Miami on I-95, there's a big, big sign that says, your wife is hot. Better get your air conditioner fixed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. They're really funny. And, and I, you know, that makes. I mean, come on. Can't we have a sense of humor in this country anymore? I like the one in Ohio that was yeah. mentioned. Uh, slow down or uh, visiting your in-laws question mark slow down get there late yeah i like that uh, that's that's that will that encourage you to put one. yeah put your pull your foot up the pedal right <laughs> there's another great one it's it's, it's a sign but it, it's upside down you know so you're reading it but it's upside down it says if you can read this you've been in an accident <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's pretty good yeah yeah don't don't uh 
Don't fire all those government humorists. We need them. Uh, Steve Moore, economist, uh, Govzilla author. Steve, thanks as always. Hey, guys. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's uh, not as aggressive as I've proposed, but I like what uh, Naperville City Councilman Josh McBroom advanced as a thought before the uh, city council. Is his colleague crush? We had him on the show back when uh, he was running, and um, I thought he was going to be somebody that may stick out among the pantheon of local elected officials in Chicagoland. Um, he's a financial planner by trade, if I remember. He seemed like a sensible guy. So what I proposed, of course, was, you know your neighborhood. You know your communities in which you live in the suburbs. So why not, instead of uh, telling migrants who arrive by bus or by train in your community doing what uh, these hate-has-no-home-here Chardonnay Antifa types like Heidi Rudolph in Western Springs does and say, Thank, great to have you here. Now get your ass on that train. We're sending you to Chicago. Why not, instead of doing that, say, um, Heidi, uh, meet my friend who's just arrived from Venezuela. He's cold. He doesn't like Chicago's winter, not used to it. And I thought, what leadership, what a leadership uh, opportunity you have to um, provide shelter, take him and his family, or just him, into your home, and encourage others to do the same. I mean, you know, I mean, it's cold. I I get it. I get why they don't want to be in Chicago. The cold is too much, says Gabriel Diaz, the 38-year-old new arrival from Venezuela, and dozens of others temporarily moved to the lower level of the Harold Washington Library. Because the city's windswept landing strip at Polk and Dis Plains presenting a dangerous environment for asylum seekers, temporarily forcing the suspension of the combination city and state intake center. Venezuelan asylum seeker Andres Contreras, a block down from the library, stunned to experience the bitter cold. The truth is, is that I'm not accustomed to this cold, Contreras says. I've never seen the snow before. It's beautiful, but it's too excessive, the cold you have here. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so sad, too bad, as you always say. Well, but I mean, no, it's an yeah, asylum seeker. Right. You know, so these are asylum seekers. Uh, they're uh, nomenclature for all people in this country uh, illegally. And so, again, it's a, such an opportunity. I, I mentioned yesterday when we were talking to Ted Dabrowski, you know, take when they, they get dropped off and will matter. You see them panhandling in front of uh, Plaza Del Lago. Take them over to Byron Trot's house on the lake and say to Byron Trot's servants, you know, um, you have work, you have quarters. I mean, why not take some people in again, provide that leadership that our civic leaders that uh, 
the wealthy to whom we look for uh, moral guidance, provide that leadership, provide the example, live your values. Maybe, maybe too aggressive for most people uh, to be that confrontational with their barbaric neighbors, the sentimental barbarians, the sophisticated animals in their community, many of whom are in public office, many of whom are very wealthy, maybe too aggressive. So Josh McBroom has uh, an alternative suggestion. Take a listen to what he proposed at uh, a recent Naperville City Council meeting. In light of the fact that, you know, I'm not going to support, you know, using other people's money to house or aid, um, I do know that there's a lot of people that do care. And I, I think we live in a compassionate community. Um, so, you know, before we go down the road of, you know, doing what, you know, following suit on some of these other cities are taking action on, um, you know, my, my idea would be, let's, let's find out, let's find out who's willing to help, you know? So, you know, we do hear from constituents on both sides of this. What are we going to do to preemptively stop this? And then we hear from people that tell us we should do more. So, you know, we do have a, a, a very affluent community. A lot of big homes, and um, oh boy. what I'd like to do is direct staff to create a sign-up sheet. So, <laughs> you know, for individuals that would be willing to house migrant families, um, and if there's people that would do that, God bless them. Um, so, if we could raise raise awareness in that way, um, I think we need to find out. I think we need to find out who would be willing to house migrant families. And uh, so that that would be my new business. I'd be looking for, you know, support from from the dais. What about that? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. How about a sign-up sheet? And you can circulate that sign-up sheet. You you can go door-to-door. You can bring that to uh, church service. You can bring that to social events and say, uh, Hey, uh, Sally, Sally, I got the sign up sheet. Um, Can I would you like to put your name down and and I'll make sure that uh, uh, the village gets it. So we have this running list. And I'll tell you what, the other thing you could do, uh, you know, the covid protocol is rolling announcements about the sign up sheet. Here's who's on the sign up sheet. Here's how many people we have signed up so far. Um, You could cross check them against the uh, frozen no person can be illegal signs in yards in Naperville. I, I, I mean, I don't want to out McBroom here, but it's not like uh, any of these pea hat wearing offals in Naperville listen to this show. They, they are not adult enough. They're not mature enough to handle cognitive dissonance or uh, agreements, I mean, or discussions on the merits of things. So there's no worries there. Nothing I say. Um but I mean, it's just a, it's like he, he perfectly introduced that. Right. So it doesn't come across as mocking their hypocrisy. It comes across as you're sincere. Com- you're compassionate. We have this sign up sheet. We'll extol your virtue, which is the thing that you're most concerned about your, you know, your status. And uh, this will confer more status. You want to be included. You don't want to be excluded from the compassionate set. Do you? Do you think they'll make the list public? Well that, well, that would be my, my point. I mean, certainly it would be foyable once it's a city document. 
but it uh, shouldn't need a FOIA request. It should just be um, updating at least at every council meeting, if not just like existing on the website and and make a downloadable again sign up sheet so that residents can get engaged. This is a way to engage the community to um, um, have people uh, who want to do something um, empowered to do something. Right. Three, sign one, up, two. Sign up sheet. What's wrong with a sign up sheet? Volunteer. Now, would people be paid to take in? No, you know, I would pay. Just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Well, that we're talking about people who have nothing but goodness in their heart. Oh, that's why crazy. would you have to sully this with filthy lucre? Because no, I no. want money. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, this you could. I mean, this is not limited to the suburbs, of course. Amy, you could. Uh, I know. Uh, you could do a petition or sign up. Not a petition. Sign up sheet uh, in your ward and. and um, Bring it to and, church for sure. Well, and then, but then step up and deliver it to the um, ward office of, uh, you know, your socialist alderman. Matt Martin. Yeah. And then oh, you know, have, ha- see if he'll post it in the window. Put it on his website. Sign up sheets. You're not forcing anybody to do anything. You're not at somebody's doorstep with an asylum seeker. Um, it's just a sign up sheet. What could be more innocuous more community-oriented, more civic-minded than a sign-up sheet so that you have local leadership providing constituents with the opportunity to engage and participate. And then we could record and even compete Hinsdale versus Naperville versus Glen Ellen versus Downers Grove, which is the most welcoming community. And then we could get we could hand out ribbons and then you could put it on your welcome to sign. We're the most welcoming community of 2023, 2024. We had three people sign up to house migrants. I mean, what's the difference between uh, providing uh, accommodations for an asylum seeker uh, versus like a foreign exchange student? Just think of it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Sign up sheet. Thank you, Josh McRoomby. He's so much more civilized than I am. You know, he's I'm, no need to be confrontational. No, he seemed very sincere. To provide the provide the avenue to demonstrate your enlightenment, Matt Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Instead of put your money where your mouth is, maybe people could put their home where their mouth is. I think I'm going to put that on a sign and tell people to stick that on their lawn. Thanks for the call, Matt. Well, you know, Southside is going to be a little bit more aggressive than um, the uh, docile community of Naperville, but okay. You know, whatever works in your hood. Uh, Grant Rockford. Good morning, Dan. It's just a perfect piggyback to what Abbott's doing. And you know how we love our uh, our forums and our um, committees and things. They need to put together a committee of people that go door to door, and then they can have a form so that, like you say, this is foyable, where it says, I either accept or I decline to house migrants in my house, in my home. So that, like you say, these people can be exposed for the awful, the angry right female leftists that they are. I mean, the entire thing, it, it's perfect, man. You, you, put, you, you put them right on the spot. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for the call, Grant. Uh, Lisa in Westmont. Hi, Lisa. Hey. Hey, Dan, how's it going? You know, we just had a village meeting and our mayor literally read 
a, an excerpt from DuPage County and all the is that we have to be, you know, there's no rules against um, these people coming in by train. Why don't we put a sign up genius on the Facebook website so that people can sign up and be held accountable? Absolutely. Uh, you know, thanks for the call. He said, perfect. Yeah, we're right. You don't even need to go door to door in these with these frigid temperatures. You use a technology in this uh, 21st century in which we live and then you're you're uh, memorialized forever on social media. And then, you know, you just have to uh, follow up to say now now put the name of the migrant and you don't have to use, you know, the full name. You just, you know, it's uh, Joe L from uh venezuela that i'm hosting and um then you now you really have the you really have the the connection sign up That's genius a good start. Yeah. yeah put this to the test rick in downers grove hey good morning why doesn't the simplest solution ever occur to these idiots or is that the reason they're idiots enforce the border laws Deport these people here illegally, Ooh. and you won't have to go begging for money, and you won't have to beg people to the houses. The problem would eventually take care of itself. But why don't they ever think of that? Ooh, uh, that's uh, harsh. Begging and so no, nobody's begging. But why would you need to beg when you have communities full of compassionate, affluent people who are their brother's keeper? Well, that's what they tell us. So certainly if given the opportunity, you know, at their leisure and where they live, you know, metaphysically as well as physically, that's the solution, isn't it? Vince in Crete. Hey, Dan and Amy, good morning. How about uh, J.B. Pritzker leads by example? I'm sure he's got to have enough room in uh, one of those mansions. Maybe if you put down a cheeseburger and milkshake, you'd have room for a couple extra migrants, Damn. even Mayor Johnson. Maybe thanks, they. Thanks for the covens. No, yeah. he won't take it. I remember confronting him once why he doesn't have a foster child. I'm like, you have all this space. Why don't, why don't you and MK become foster parents? He said he was too busy. Well, I don't need. Running I mean, the state of well, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't need to, to be the caretaker. No. He's got staff for that. He just needs to open up that uh, Gold Coast mansion. And again, boy, I mean, think about the uh, brush fire that would start if uh, Governor Pritzker. Wouldn't that be living with the Pritzkers? It could be a reality TV show. But it's yeah. a little dangerous. I mean, we mentioned this earlier. There's um, a robbery right in front of Pritzker's house last night. Somebody tried to carjack the driver of an Audi, a white Audi, but it was stick shift. So they couldn't take the car. But they did end up taking the guy's wallet and roughing him up a little, right in front of Pritzker's house. Well, if you have, if you're home, if you're providing uh, a home to a migrant migrant family, many migrant families. In the case of J.B. Pritzker, you also have a security detail, so the migrants yeah. wouldn't have to worry about that. Maybe your average Chicago resident has to worry about street crime, but J.B. Pritzker doesn't, and nor would anybody that he opens his home to. So there's no issue. Uh, Deborah Arlington Heights. Good morning. This, I said this reminds me of the story of the little red hen. All the virtue signalers out there that want to post on social media about how they're a more compassionate, better person because they support people coming here illegally, 
they want to reap the benefit of, you know, being patted on the back, but then when it's time to actually do it, they don't want to do anything to help bake the bread. That's the way that it is. Thanks for the call, Deborah. Well, the sign-up sheet will put that to the test. Corky, Northwest Side. Yeah, hi. I was telling your screener, you know, remember that school in New York? They shut down. James they put Madison. the illegals in. They put the kids that go there home, and if they're studying, who knows. But anyway, in uh, Skokie, Niles West High School, 5701 West Oakton, right on the corner of Gross Point Road in Oakton, there's a two-story. It's This is this is big money sign. They painted it on. It's it's beautiful. Uh, hate has no home here. Black Lives Matter. There you go. Perfect. There you go. Wonderful. And perhaps the school board, the community come together, and they could sign up that uh, school. They'll keep their kids at home, and they'll uh, uh, do remote learning or whatever needs to be done to make sure that uh, that, that uh, resource could be utilized. They could, again, this is an opportunity to lead, and it's just you're just providing the opportunity. You're not shaming anybody. You're not confronting anybody. You're just saying, let's put our community to the test. Uh, obviously, if these communities are who they say they are, we don't have an issue. Jerry in Harwood Heights. Hi, Dan. Hi, Amy. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. These people that uh, take in these migrants or the uh, into their homes, maybe they could get that little banner of the like the Gold Star families had during World War II that had that little banner with how many stars on there that showed how many of their sons were serving in the war. They could have that put on their house with the stars of how many migrants they have in their house. All right, Jerry. Uh, I got a text from uh, 312. In the 1970s, my very conservative town in Pennsylvania did exactly this. We took in thousands of Vietnamese refugees who lived in our, in our homes for about six months or so, they, so until they could get their own homes. So my conservative town could do it in the 1970s. Why can't a liberal town like Naperville do it in the 2020s? Yeah, why not? I mean, you have Ukrainian refugees that have been taken in. Right. So what's the problem? I mean, it's not like these towns are full of left-wing racists. Nobody's saying that, are they? So, right, if a town in, the, in, in Pennsylvania outside of uh, in a town in suburban Pennsylvania, you could do it in the 70s for Vietnamese refugees after the war or, or in Chicagoland and other communities are doing it with Ukrainian refugees during the war. Then why wouldn't the residents of Naperville and all of these other leafy suburban communities jump at the chance? Six months, you know, until they get on their feet, they get their work permit and because they're all asylum seekers who are just here for a better life or they're fleeing oppression, or some combination of the two. That's what I understand from them. So six months or so, what's the big deal? Why wouldn't you? Is there any reason why you wouldn't? I'd like to hear it. Joe in Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. You've really turned my... uh my opinion on this issue. So I want to go on record that in Arlington Heights, I have room for up to two young, hot Brazilian chicks. Oh, my God. I will do my part. I mean, that's part. so I'll... nice of you. Joe, I mean, see, that's the sort of selflessness that exists out there if you just get a little bit of civic leadership from your you know, village or city board. I love it. Thanks, Joe. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, our betters from the world over, are meeting in Davos this week. It's another World Economic Forum Fest. And from uh, Forum Fest to Forum Fest. It, it's, uh, it's off to a fast Life. start. Oh, okay. Harvard Planetary Sciences professor Naomi Oreskes, she uh, spent uh, her time explaining her fear of social media companies that are not working in conjunction with, uh, well, the government of the United States and, of course, governments the world over. For a long time, I was on Twitter, um, and now it's become such a toxic place that I've concluded it's not a worthwhile place to spend time. And as you said, it is exhausting. So you do have to pick and choose, and you have to think about where are the places where you can get your message across. But I am trying to figure out, I mean, I have given up on X, what a scary name that even is, right? Um, and I don't know what the alternative is right now. You know what's a scary, toxic place? That conference? Harvard. <laughs> oh, Harvard, yeah. Yeah, that's a scary, toxic place, too. She hasn't given up on Harvard yet. Um, deep thinker. Harvard planetary science professor Naomi Oreskes. She's scared of the rebranding of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had uh, another luminary from uh, the Biden administration present to uh, offer uh, a review of what's happening uh, in the globe, you know, geopolitical deep thinking from uh, Jake from State. Uh, who is a diplomat in the way from, in the same way that uh, Jake from State Farm is an insurance broker. So uh, Jake Sullivan uh, showed up to the World Economic Forum to give one of those, you know, sucking on the temple tip of eyeglasses uh, review of what's happening across the globe, this new world order. I guess and maybe this is the, the old um, kind of, teacher me coming out. I think of this a little bit more about a transition of eras rather than a transition of orders, but the two are kind of cousins of one another. The reason I draw the distinction is because I don't think the international order built after 1945 is getting replaced wholesale with some new order. Um, It will obviously evolve as as it has evolved multiple times over the decades since 1945. But I do think in a, in a more sharp and distinctive way, we are moving into a new era. And that's what I talked about in my remarks, that we are, you know, the post-Cold War era has come to a close. We're at the start of something new. We have the capacity to shape what that looks like. And at the heart of it will be many of the core principles and core institutions of the existing order adapted uh, for the challenges that we face today. Mm. Oh, boy. So enlightened. That is is heady stuff from Jake Sullivan. Uh, The uh, institutions we have so much faith in that will, you know, and that are so resilient, they'll just have to adapt to the new conditions on the ground, I see. So like the World Health Organization, Jake, we find from uh, House investigators, the uh, Chinese lab there in Wuhan, where the virus definitely did not emanate from. For sure. 
Uh, they mapped the coronavirus two weeks before Beijing told the world. A lead time that could have been critical in providing timely and more timely and more thoughtful, ideally, response. Probably more thoughtful wouldn't have happened. But, um, you know, our partners in combating the pandemic and in peace, the Chinese Communist Party that controls the World Health, World Health Organization. Those are the sorts of institutions that uh, Jake Sullivan and all of those other deep thinkers at the World Economic Forum are going to lean on in the coming days and years and generations. For more on this meeting in Davos of our betters, we're pleased to be joined by Cliff May, president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and foreign affairs columnist for The Washington Times. Uh, Cliff, uh, when do you get your star turn at the World Economic Forum? Gosh, I missed it yet again. Uh, I hear the skiing is good at Davos right now, too. Indeed. So are the prostitutes, I hear. Yeah. (laughs) I I missed that. But, uh, Dan, if that's the case, I'll I'll make it up. Well, I've just from what I've heard, I'm also not invited. Um, So what about uh, I mean, if you I mean, if there's not really anything to distill, it's just a bunch of you know, sort of Georgetown gobbledygook. But um, Jake Sullivan on the New World Order and and these um, these Davos deep thinkers, you know, actually, Walter Russell Mead had a good piece about it in The Wall Street Journal. You know, what they're really um, convening to do is try to come up with a cover story for their massive failures and their increasing irrelevance. As much as there are conspiracies that abound about these people, they're shockingly ineffectual. Uh, you're exactly right, and uh, and that was a very good, interesting, and revealing quote by Jake Sullivan that you played. He wants to believe, and maybe has convinced himself, that the international order is evolving. That's what he said. What he doesn't seem to recognize is the international order is not evolving, it's eroding. And there's no better example of that than what's happening in the Red Sea. Why is that? Because the, the oldest of international laws is freedom of the seas. Right. That go, I mean, it goes back to the 1600s, actually, this idea that the seas belong to everybody and we want commerce. Well, we had the, the U.S. in its earliest days enforcing freedom of the seas uh, in the Mediterranean when Americans were being taken hostage by jihadists. American sailors were. That the Marines were born. That's what, you know, from the shores of Tripoli. That's what that's all about. Now, what you have is the Houthis, this ragtag bunch, but they're not just that. They are proxies of the Islamic Republic of Iran, and they're saying America doesn't enforce freedom of the seas. We decide which ships go and which ships don't, and we will use violence and force to do so, and you're not going to stop us. And at first, it's, well, we'll knock down their missiles, and now we've been gotten a little bit stronger. Oh, if, we, if the U.S. doesn't enforce freedom of the seas, in the Red Sea, then next thing it will be the Strait of Hormuz by Iran. They've already tried that. And in the South China Sea, we already have the Chinese Communist Party taking reefs, building the islands and militarizing them. This is the basis of the erosion. And, he, and, and, and Jake Sullivan may think that core principles and core institutions are being adapted. No, they're being taken over by Americans' enemies, particularly Chinese Communist Party in partnership with Moscow, in partnership with Tehran, in partnership with North Korea, in partnership with Venezuela, partnership with Cuba, and they intend to run the world and make the United States a has-been power. Well, what about the two Navy SEALs that are missing? What happened to them, and what do we? What's the latest? 
there, there, there are there's a mission to look for them. They uh, listen most likely, Amy. They are they are lost, um, and the blame for this goes to the Islamic Republic of Iran. And we need to understand that the Islamic Republic of Iran is an enemy of the United States. Forty-five years, they have been chanting death to America, and we keep saying, "Yeah, we don't. I, I don't think you really mean it." How about we give you another ten billion dollars? How about we give you another twenty billion dollars? How about this has been the, the policy of this administration and the policy of the Obama administration? If you remember, Obama said, "I'm going to reach out my hand, and I hope you will unclench your fist." Fine. We, that was an experiment. Maybe it was worth trying. You did, and now we know they will not unclench their fist. They intend to their what they call the axis of resistance, their various proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, the, the various uh, Shia militias in, that are attacking Americans in Syria and Iraq. They, they want death to America. At the very least, what they want and what Putin wants and what Xi Jinping wants is to diminish the United States and make it into a second-rate power. And so we run the world. You don't. You had your time. It's over. And, and Jake Sullivan needs to understand that's not core principles and core institutions adapting. It's, it's rather they're being transformed and taken over. World Health Organization is a very good example of that, Dan, as you pointed out, because it's largely been, particularly during the COVID epidemic, was taken over by who? By the Chinese Communist Party, because, the, because we, I think we now know where the virus came from. And they didn't want people to know, and they didn't want the World Health Organization either revealing that or talking about that. Well, well, wait a second. Now, the Houthis, um, they were a designated terrorist organization uh, prior to Biden. But then that uh, designation was removed because I, I, I assume we we're going to do like a summer jobs program in Yemen. They're, they're just a bunch of uh, young men who need jobs, and then they would give up their terrorist tendencies. But now they're a uh, they're designated as a terrorist organization again. Interesting. Um, so did the summer jobs program fail, or what happened? The summer jobs program did not go as planned. That's right. What uh, what happened was President Trump designated them as a foreign. The Houthis were rebels, by the way. They control most of the country, but not all of the country. There's still a government in place that we theoretically support, but doesn't have a whole lot of power anymore. Uh, so what happened, designated uh, President Biden didn't like that. He lifted the designation. He said it's mostly for humanitarian reasons. Um, we want to be able to get more aid in because people are suffering. They don't have enough food, medicine. Guess what? The Houthis have had plenty of missiles, helicopters with which that they've used to hijack ships, plenty of drones, plenty of other weapons. There's no, I mean, there has been no, there's no problem with that. And no mention was made at, at, when the lifting of, of the designation on the piece of what their slogan is. It's on every flag they have. And it's, it makes clear their, it's like their mission statement. And what does its slogan say? It says, God is the greatest, death to America, death to Israel, a curse upon the Jews, victory to Islam. So hmm. that's what they want. That, you can interpret that in so many different ways, though, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. True. It may not be. Sounds bad, but maybe not, yeah. Right. Uh, Cliff May, president of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, foreign affairs columnist for The Washington Times. Cliff, thanks as always. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The answer. 
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, of course, uh, weather is impacting the NFL playoffs. And um, Tampa Bay coach uh, Todd Bowles oh uh, had a presser yesterday in, in advance of Sunday's game in Detroit against the Lions. And he was asked the following. Coach, you, you. Uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams uh, today. It's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to talk to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? And they got a dome. <laughs> I don't um, No, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors and... We only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, oh so God. we'll be okay. I feel Diversity so bad. higher. Uh, Diversity well, higher. Yeah, of course, it was a female who asked the question. But the thing is, they played in a dome. Remember, we was the Pontiac Silverdome where we played? That was uh, up and running since 1975, and then they moved to Ford Field, downtown Detroit. And it's a dome there, too. So. Follow-up question. Yes, um, sir. Do you yes, have any uh, preparation? Are you making any special plans to play inside a dome on turf at 72 degrees on Sunday? Um, I, the re- one of the reasons I like Todd Bowles is he was more generous than I would have been. God, but, you would have destroyed her. Uh, it deserves the ridicule. The sports press corps, an adjunct of the political press corps, as That's I always true. say. That's true. But, but, uh, They're not naming here's, her name, are they? Unfortunately, they they not. They should. She's being protected, and she shouldn't be. Um, Todd Bowles, though, uh, back at the beginning of the season, in advance of playing the in the in advance of the Bucks playing the Steelers. Todd Bowles is black. Mike Tomlin, the longtime coach of the Steelers, is black. Yes, we know. Listen this. to this exchange. Okay. You, you, and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them, and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, we don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too. Diversity higher. Young, the same woman? Players, Could be. Stop talking. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. Oh, he's my new favorite NFL coach. Thank you, Todd Bowles. Go Bucks. Oh, my gosh. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.